the contrast that's in our lives that constitute these dark nights of the soul, I really believe it is for us, for our highest and best, that we architected it before coming in, in the hopes that we would persevere through it. Because if and when we do, and each and every time I have, through each and every one of my dark nights, I have been transformed. And in whatever way that looks like, more empathy, more wisdom, more compassion, more empowerment. If you persevere and you get through to the other side, you're bestowed these divine tools to better assist your fellows. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. It's wonderful to have your company. Today, my guest is Susan Dyer. Susan, who lives just outside Washington, D.C., is a survivor, as you're about to hear, and a champion of women's spirituality. As Susan shares in our conversation, it's the hardships she's lived through that today enable her to connect with the women she supports by helping them uncover self-love and connect to their higher self and their guides. Susan was born clairvoyant and raised by baffled Catholic parents who could not understand what she was seeing and experiencing. As a result, she hated herself by kindergarten, she says, and doubted her sanity until merging with what she describes as unnameable God in a near-death experience in 2017. Susan's NDE is unusual in that it contains aspects you might not have heard about before in an NDE. Her fascinating experience raises questions, for me at least, about the role we play in co-creating our experiences, whether that be an NDE or just part of our everyday life in the quote-unquote real world. Susan holds bachelor's degrees in creative writing and cultural anthropology, which makes sense as it was an excerpt of her beautifully expressed NDE that I read online that led me to reach out to Susan and invite her onto Spirit Sisters. Her story is multi-layered and extensive, so we recorded it in two parts. Enjoy part one of my conversation with Susan Dyer. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Susan. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we're finally having this session together. We've been talking for so long. I feel like we've gotten to know each other so well over the last couple months. 
We have, and it's been so wonderful. And I love this about my show. I have pen pals from all around the world, from all different walks of life, and it's just such a beautiful thing. And it's virtual pen pals, but, you know, we have a heart connection nonetheless. And certainly we've, as you say, we've had the best time getting to know each other over email. (laughs) Now, um, something you wrote in one of your emails, and I will reference our email correspondence a little bit in our conversation, but you said, um, this really stuck with me, you said, I'm a human Rolodex of bizarre, heartbreaking, painful and blissful experiences. So today, Susan and our audience, we're going to talk about all of those experiences and we're also going to dive into why you feel that you are this human Rolodex, Susan. So, and I know that that's so that you can help other women on their journeys of self-love and remembering that the truth about themselves. So there's so much that we're going to get into. I want to begin with your, if it's all right with you, Susan, with your first near-death experience in 2017. So if you could set that up for us, please, what was life like for you in the lead up and what brought about the NDE itself? Okay, so this was on the heels of my divorce and my body was trying to tell me that all was not well before my mind would accept that reality. And so my health failed. Uh, As my marriage was disintegrating, my health failed and chronic Lyme disease raged out of remission and I became exceptionally ill. And so for that year leading up to 2017, for that year leading up to to my near-death experience, I was, I was just so sick. I was you know, partial, like my, my right hand and my right foot were paralyzed. I, I was often army crawling on the floor of my house as a single mom trying to take care of two young kids. I had a port in my arm and would be rotating IV bags. Um, you know, each day I had like two balls of IV medicine that I had to you know, pour through the port in my arm and the pain, there was just searing nerve pain and fatigue that I really, I can't even call it fatigue. I I was unwakeable. I mean, I just, I I was really more dead than alive in that year, you know, leading up to to that night. I remember, I, I, you know, once a day I would crawl from the from the couch to the kitchen and laying on the kitchen floor I would make you know eight or so peanut butter and jellies and line them up on paper plates along the wall so my kids wouldn't step on them and then I'd I'd army crawl back to the couch and I just leave those sandwiches out for them all day long as though they were animals. And, and that was the best I could do. And, and during that year, I would say, you know, at best I had a cane. Uh, at worst, I was crawling on the floor. And then, you know, the middle ground of that year, I had a walker. 
and it just had become so difficult to stay alive. And, and the way I would describe it to you was, I just felt that my life force was running out. And my friends had been telling me for months that I, you know, I was dying and I was not ready to hear that or accept it. But the night of my experience, I had quite a different reaction. It, it was a quiet resignation that actually felt calm and peaceful. And, and I say that because my boys were safely at their dad's house. I knew that I could die that night and they would be taken care of. They would not find me. You know, I didn't need to worry about them. I knew I was going to die that night. I, I had been to the ER earlier that day with my father and that had been such a frustrating experience because they just kept saying, you know, we can't find anything the matter with you other than you have a tacky heart rate. And, and I just kept saying like, no, you don't understand what I'm dying. And at this point, I was on two pages you know, if you had, I, I had, I had it typed out as a word document and I was on two pages of medicine. I remember that night I had several friends come over and they sat with me on the couch and, and they knew I was going to die that night. And they kind of switched out with each other as it got later and later at night. And they had to get up at work. They had to get up for their own jobs in the morning. And I just, I, I remember laying there and just patiently waiting for them, you know, for the last one of them to finally leave. I, I used to hear this, this saying that when a dog passes away, it likes to, it likes to kind of crawl out on its own and you know die in privacy and that's how i felt i felt very patient and uplifted but i just i had to wait out my friends and when they finally left i just I, the relief i felt I, I was like i i just i i can't do this any longer but my guides had a very different plan in store for me so as I was crawling up the stairs to get to my bedroom, my guides told me, they said, Susan, you have one last chance. You have to get out of your body tonight and get help. And I, I remember stopping, you know, midway on all fours on the stairs and I, I didn't say this out loud, but I, I was, you know, I thought this to them. I, I thought, I, I, I thought, what, what are you talking about? I, I don't know how to astral travel on command. I've, I've astral traveled naturally since childhood, but, but I've never done it. I had never done it at that point intentionally saying like, I'm going to leave my body now 
for this purpose. And, and that's what I said. I said, I don't know how to do that. And they literally told me exactly what to do. And because I wanted to exhaust every possible avenue of staying alive for the sake of my children, I absolutely followed instructions. You know, I, I didn't know what would happen. And to be honest, I was terrified because they told me what to do. They said, lay along the edge of your bed. And when you hit the halfway mark, when you're half in sleep and half out of sleep, astrally roll off the ledge. And that was their instruction to me. And that was very clear, but I felt terrified because I thought, well, then what happens? What, what do I do? Where do I go? Who, who do I, who do I find for help? And, and I was, and I always am willing to follow uh, my divine instructions. I, I will always do that. You know, I, I take that very seriously, but at that point I was thinking, I was thinking of something probably similar to, to like a cosmic triple A. I thought maybe I'll get out of my body and I'll find some off duty angel just to, to help me out a little bit, give me like a health boost enough to get back to my body and continue this journey and and somehow heal. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. And so I followed their instructions. I easily fell out of my body. And looking back now, I, you know, I, I can tell this with greater clarity, but I manifested what looked like the fastest moving tunnel that you've ever seen. It was so fast, it just looked like a gray blur. And I intuitively knew that I had to somehow angle my astral body into that flow. I didn't know where it would lead, but I knew that it would lead somewhere to somewhere closer to some kind of solution. So I, I entered that tunnel and next thing I knew, I was in a completely black surrounding and, and it was the quietest, deepest, almost like wet velvet black I'd ever experienced. Just no sound, no light, no movement. And at that point, I, I should clarify, I was born clairvoyant. I, I was born able to see energy and beings and and angels and all all sorts of presences beyond our three d reality. So being clairvoyant, and at that point, when this happened in two thousand and seventeen, I was still, as an adult, incredibly afraid of the dark. And so when I landed in this space, which I now know 
to be the epicenter of the divine feminine. Uh, there are other words for it. I know that some NDE people call it the void, um, but to me that's got such a negative connotation. This space, when I look back and as I understand it now, it's it's almost like whatever your word for God or source is, it's like the space of the blank canvas just before source presses out into form. That's directly where I landed, but at the time I just was terrified. And I remember, I remember squeezing my astral eyes shut and saying, God, please take me somewhere safe and good. And immediately, immediately, I was submerged in blazing golden rays. And again, intuitively, I knew that to be the unnameable or what people may call God. And I was steeped in these rays, almost like a tea bag in a mug of tea. And we had an exchange without words. It was, I guess you could call it telepathic or through feeling, you know, nothing was spoken. But the first question that was posed to me was, do you want to stay here or return? And that was, in that moment, my greatest fear. I was still in the chariot of my personality. I, I still had, you know, I was still Susan Dyer. And so in that moment, I was so afraid that God wouldn't believe me that I wanted to return. So I, I threw up like an IMAX sized, you know, image of my two boys. And I said, I, I want to go back. I want to return. And I thought, you know, I better take some action to show how serious I am. And so I remember hand over hand, I started pulling on my silver cord. There's, there's a cord we each have that it's an energetic cord that that as long as we're alive you know connects to our physical bodies and i remember i'll show god how serious i am and i started hand over hand pulling on my silver cord you know in an attempt to get back to my body but I remember thinking, oh my God, where am I? How long is this going to take? How far away am I? This is insane. And luckily that was not necessary. And we continued to have this exchange that completely transformed my idea of God. I mean, this exchange was both so sweeping and yet so inexpressibly intimate uh it, it was it was just you know beautiful and 
after the exchange we had, the being that many people call Jesus appeared. And, and I, am, I'm, I am not a religious person. So I was just as shocked as anyone else to see Jesus in front of me. Um, I, I was raised in a particular religion, but that experience had been so negative that I really had just considered myself spiritual for the longest of time. I loved God, you know, and, um, but I had, I'd never really thought about Jesus since my youth. And all of a sudden there he was looking very much like you would expect him to with a beard and clear blue eyes and um, like a manila robe. And he asked me, do you want to get better? And I remember I grabbed both of his hands and we started flying together, hands held through every shade of green that you could possibly imagine, this celestial green, which I believe has to do with the heart chakra and Archangel Raphael. And for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the chakras, most people's heart chakras, which is the most healing chakra and is associated with Archangel Raphael, that chakra is green. And so we were, or, or I'm sorry, appears clairvoyantly green uh, for most people, green and, and sometimes with some pink. And so as we were flying through all of these shades of green, I was shouting, I'm going to get better as fast as I can. I'm going to get better as fast as I can. And, and after we did that, he said, is there anywhere else you would like to go? And I said, yes, I wanted to visit one of my galactic guides who I'd never seen in form. This is a being that I call Perry and I've only ever seen him and known him uh, clairvoyantly and through our exchanges as being a, a, a being of light and a being of color. But I knew that if I asked Jesus to take me to Perry, I knew that he could come into form and that I would have the opportunity to embrace him as you would a flesh and blood friend. And so I know this may sound very far out to some of your listeners, but this is the truth of my experience. And my primary promise to God uh, during that merger, my main promise to him was to to return home and live transparently. So that's why I'm speaking so openly about all of this because this is my, this is me, you know, making good on that promise to God. But I, 
I ended up going with Jesus to the hull of a spaceship and we hovered just outside what looked like, you know, a bay door on the side of the ship. And there was, it, it almost looked like a coat of arms that you, you know how in medieval times, your family's crest would be on your shield. And, and so you could look at somebody's shield and tell, oh, okay, they're from this family and this lineage. Well, on the side of this, this whole door was something very similar. And I was able to, you know, look at the symbology that was inscripted on the side of this ship and confirm like, yes, this is the correct ship. This is where I want to be. And then instantaneously I was inside that ship. And again, it's my belief and from my experiences, I, I believe we manifest things as a team. We co-create everything that happens. Like Susan Dyer and my higher self and source and my guides, we all co-create as a team. And so I was instantaneously inside the ship and it looked like a 1950s NASA gift shop. And I remember just being so excited to finally meet Perry. And I knew he'd be in a human form just for me on this special occasion under these incredible circumstances. And so I saw him out of the corner of my eye he was talking to another customer. And so I, I remember looking at all these, you know, tchotchkes hanging on the wall, these um, NASA keychains and figurines and patiently waiting for Perry to finish up. And he looked like an every dad. And it reminded me of the movie Contact actually, when Jodie Foster goes into that machine and the being she's greeted by looks like her father, but she knows it's not her father. And that's what Perry did for me. He, he materialized or embodied as a being that looked exactly like my own father with a different face, but with the same body, the exact same clothes. I mean, even down to, you know, a little bit of a stomach under the, the, the flannel shirt and the khakis and the boat shoes, you know, but I knew it was Perry. And so when he, when he finished up speaking with that customer, I just wanted to run up and hug him, but I, I tried to be polite and calm and I, I walked up to him and, and I remember him saying, you know, he greeted me and, and, and this is, this is so funny to me. You know, I know that we hugged and it was, I, I felt such joy. It, it's, it just, it's hard to explain. And then at, at one point I remember him asking, so 
what do you think? Would you like to, would you like to work here sometime? And I remember talking, you know, briefly about potentially working part-time at this shop. It, it was just so funny to me. And then the next thing I, I, I remember is coming to in the morning and I sat up and at that point I had a, my cane, you know, resting right next to my bed. And I, I sat up from this experience completely shocked of course, it was so vivid. The entire experience is just as vivid as if it happened 30 seconds ago, much more vivid than any given day of my human life. But I remember sitting up and looking at my cane and knowing I would never need to use it again. And, and I, I haven't, I, you know, I, my cane, my walker, you know, the port in my arm, the bags of IVs, you know, I, I've not had to use any of those since. Oh, my goodness, Susan, what an astonishing experience. We have heard before of sort of instantaneous healings following NDEs, but they are quite rare. And your experience, my gosh, I've been taking notes as you're talking. Uh, one of the things that really stands out about it, I think, is how kind of interactive it is. So how participatory. So you're very much not in control, but very much part of the process. Whereas in other experiences we might hear, it's as if the person is plunged into various experiences and manifestations that they're not aware that they have a role in so to speak. But you, listening to you, it's different. Why do you think that is? Is it because, as you explained at the beginning, that you have had this lifetime of being connected to the other side and understanding that beyond our physical senses, there is this other world. So you you have known that forever. Do you think that's what gave you this ability to, to be sort of quite in charge in a way? You know, I think being... 100% steeped in both worlds, if you will, definitely allowed grace and ease into this situation. But to be honest, I thought Jesus healed me until about two years later when I finally learn to really channel. This actually goes back to to something you had mentioned earlier about being a Rolodex of human experiences. There was a, a point at which I had hit a plateau with my spiritual growth. And I woke up one day without any clairvoyance at all. And I was grief stricken. And This was after my NDE. And I remember thinking, after all that's happened, why has this been taken from me? I I felt like, you know, my entire life had, I'd been robbed of of my entire life to, to suddenly not see this way. And what was happening was my guides knew that I needed to be or I needed to feel forced into breaking through this plateau 
and allowing my emotions in. Since I was I was small, my emotions had had really scared me because they were so deep and so intense and I had walled them off as best I could for my entire life because it felt too unwieldy and out of desperation to get my clairvoyance back long story short I ended up channeling my higher self and my higher self was the part of me that explained the human Rolodex and the purpose of it. And in this channeling, it broke through on every level. And it was in a channeling with Jesus about two years later, I think it was 2019, when he told me, Susan, I did nothing. I was along for the ride. I was there as your best friend. You did the healing. And that at the time was so shocking to me. But intuitively, based on my conception of God following this experience, which I know we'll go into later, I, intuitively, I, you know, I, I felt I knew that was true. And, and I just found that to be incredible and so inspiring. And I think of that still today, you know, with, with every challenge I meet, you know, that we all have this capability. It really depends on how open we are to it. Exactly. And that aligns really to a lot of to do with Jesus and the teachings. And he always, I feel like he always pointed to our own connection with source, yes. with spirit and pointed us back there. And, you know, it's been since his time that we've been taught to uh, rely on him, the figure of Jesus as the person who is the healer. But personally, right. I feel like you, that he was pointing within to each of yes. us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that that uh, that he's no different than any of us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm 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 a hundred percent with you, and it does sadden me a bit to see how distorted it's become because that sense of hierarchy or separation or uh, better than or less than is all illusion. And what Jesus was able to accomplish, that same capacity is innate within each and every one of us. Which he did say, and all of his teachings are so countercultural. They turn everything on its head. The first shall be last, yeah. the last shall yeah. be first. You know, love your neighbour as yourself. So he is pointing to that equality uh, that that is, yeah, right across the board. And it's just so fascinating how, you know, more than 2,000 years of religion has evolved and yet the essence of those teachings has been so conveniently overlooked. I just, uh, it just baffles yeah. me really. <laughs> I know, me too, me too. Well, Susan, okay, I've been taking notes and we will, I want to come back to some key points in your NDE, but I think 
let's go a little bit more chronologically so that we we um, can build the background and so our listeners can understand uh, more about what actually led to this momentous experience. So let's go. You mentioned that you were born clairvoyant and I was wondering if you can just tell us a little bit more about your childhood, about your earliest experiences with spirit, seeing, sensing spirit and how the people around you, your family reacted to this. Sure. You know, I, I have no memories without seeing in this way. And I guess my earliest memories of, of speaking up about it, I, I probably was, I don't know, maybe around kindergarten, maybe a little bit before, but what that looked like was at night you know, just, I was just every night, just terrified. And during the day, I was seeing the same, but I, I took comfort in the, in the light. The light felt like armor to me. I, I felt safe during the day, but at night, I felt utterly terrified. And I, I frequently, would just go running into my parents' room, you know, crying, describing what I, you know, what I had seen that night or was seeing that night. And, and that could have been anything from, you know, a portal above my bed, which ironically, I know today I manifested, but at the time as a little girl, I just, I just saw this you know, where my headboard used to be, this gargantuan green and yellow churning portal. And I remember being in my bed thinking, oh my God, what's going to come out of that? Having no idea that I was the source of it. You know, I, I just kept thinking in my imagination, what kind of creature is going to come out of that portal? Or, there was a night I remember feigning sleep because there were extraterrestrials observing me and at whatever point they left you know I again went you know tearing into my parents room and you know crying hysterically and I was always told that I was not seeing what I was seeing and doing the best I could at making sense of that as a, a true child, I really distorted my self-perception and I kind of self-branded as broken and bad. And between the influence of a very, very strict Catholic church uh, and then ironically, this is actually kind of a funny story. There was one particular, now I know Angel, um, but there was one particular spirit who followed me and was with me every day. And one was not like the other. This one was opaque. I could not see through it. It was slow moving and pulsing. It felt watchful and brooding, and this was so different than all the other common 
you know, now I know them to be angels, but, you know, the others that were translucent and, you know, these brilliant gem colored and, you know, whizzing and playfully dipping and then disappearing and flying through the walls and mingling with each other. And, but this one just shadowed me and was this deep crimson color. And I believed growing up for so many years, I mistook that to be the devil. And so between my parents telling me you're not seeing what you're seeing, and then between my interpretation of, I don't know how this happened, but I'm, I'm on the devil's radar. He's with me and following me every single day. So not only am I crazy, I must also be really bad. I didn't know why. That is what grew into ultimately feeling unlovable and a very, very deep sense of self-loathing. Now, now I know that that deep red presence, um, that was how Archangel Michael was presenting to me. And many of, of your listeners may not know this, but Archangel Michael has a very keen interest in protecting and overlooking sensitive children. I know Archangel Gabriel is often looked to as a protector of children, but Archangel Michael is an absolute champion of sensitive children. And he was presenting as that deep crimson color because that is the traditional clairvoyant color of your root chakra, which is what anchors you. You, you, have a, you have that energetic line. It's called a Hara line. And it runs through your light body, through your root chakra and anchors into the earth. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had been so afraid. I had actually broken. I'd, I'd breached my own horror line and I was not energetically connected to the earth. I was so afraid I did not want to be here. And so him being with me all the time and lending me that anchoring, grounding energy was beautiful. But, but again, you know, as a kindergartner, I just thought Satan was chasing me every day. It, it just, it, the stories are wild. I think the most beautiful thing I can say about this now, in hindsight, I have spoken openly and honestly and tenderly with my parents about all of this. And the one thing my, my father has shared with me that, that touched me so deeply was he was able to tell me that when I would come to him in that manner, you know, crying and, and hysterical, that, that it made him afraid. And so that was very healing to hear that. It, it reframed my entire childhood. It, it, you know, allowed me to see 
from his perception what was happening. And it, it freed me to not take that personally. It, it gave me incredible empathy for, for where he was coming from. He was raised traditionally Catholic. He's not deeply emotional. He had no capacity to deal with this child of his, but he did the best he could. And that's a conversation that, that I will treasure forever when he shared that with me. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a very healing moment that you've, you've shared with us. And I'm sure a lot of the audience can relate to moments of healing like that, where we're able to widen our gaze and just have, mm. have, a, have a larger embrace of compassion. And it does, it just helps us move forward in a new way to understand that it wasn't a personal attack by one we love, but rather a projection of their own deep fear. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Now, um, I just, just a couple of things I wanted to bring up about that. So thanks for sharing the explanation about the chakras as well and the Hara line and the colors. I've been reading some, uh, I've been reading quite a bit actually about Mary Magdalene and that kind of energy. And of course you mentioned the divine feminine as part of your NDE with the velvety (coughs) blackness, knowing that, um, and I want to come back to that, just knowing that that was a, a manifestation of the divine feminine, that beautiful womb-like velvety blackness. I've also read that the colour crimson, a ruby crimson, is associated with Mary Magdalene. And it's just interesting to me that you were seeing that colour manifested as well as uh, the Archangel Michael. And I think it's beautiful that there is this angel who cares for sensitive children. That's a really beautiful thought. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Um, So I have a funny saying that I made up. It's called spiritual burrito. (laughs) And I'll explain, I'll explain what that means. But it basically means that, you know, you're talking to Susan Dyer, but Susan Dyer is the infinitesimal tip of an impossibly expansive complex spiritual being this goes for for every one of us but every one of us carries fractals or facets or pieces if you will of greater spiritual beings of mythological beings or deities uh deities for example you know, like, let's say, Athena, those beings, they're actually angelic beings. And we all have what I call spiritual DNA, where you are so much vaster than your human personality. And one of, one of my facets is Mary Magdalene. And so I can't believe you're bringing her up. It just it just mm. blew my mind because I had never mentioned that to you. No, before. you hadn't. And she's been very key for me in the last, I think in particular, the last sort of three years. She's a sense of her kind of calling has really been strong yeah. in me. And and that's well, not just echoes, me. Yeah. <laughs> she echoes that rebelliousness she echoes that kind of sacred rebelliousness that Jesus 
did as well. I mean, they were both so such catalysts of their time and they were they were true equals. They were true partners in in trying to to teach this this, you know, individual empowerment. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that you have that attraction to her. And mm. it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you carry a fractal of her. Well, I feel that there's definitely something going on. I'm very drawn to explore her further. There'll be further interviews coming up on the show that look into her and this whole uh, phenomenon of the re-arising of the divine feminine and that equalizing. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm yeah. so thrilled to be looking into this. I feel that it's it's really really important and I'm excited to know that this is important to you too, Susan. Well, I think a lot of us myself and and you included have incarnated at this time because we are arriving at a tipping point where we are transitioning from the divine masculine to the divine feminine. And of course, we're at the very early stages, but so many of what we would call light workers or sensitives or empaths or psychics, uh, so many old souls, whatever, whatever language you use, um, so many of us have chosen intentionally to incarnate now to help with that tipping process. That feels very true to me and I have, I've been exploring that very line of thinking as well and, yeah, it's, uh, it's powerful, powerful stuff. It's, and we yeah. could, you know, I, I think we'll talk more about the book that you've got in the works and we'll get you back on the show next year hopefully to talk about that. But let's, um, I want to just bring it back to your experience for the moment so that we, we close that line, sure. Susan. So you mentioned your, um, your childhood experiences and it was, I mean, just listening to you, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is that is a lot for a five-year-old to deal with, you know, and bless your little heart that just, and I have heard this before. I've interviewed mediums and psychics and people who've experienced the spirit world like you since birth. And they all share these stories of, of just confusion and shock and of not being accepted by parents and, uh, and how devastating that is. I want to talk about that, but before I do, I just wanted to ask about Perry, your spirit guide, and if he had made himself apparent to you in these years and did you receive any comfort from that? So, no, I, I have to to be honest. I would say that, you know, me getting to know all of my guides, many facets of my higher self came as an adult, as a child, I remained incapable of understanding what was happening to me. I, I had no resources. I had a very 100 proof Catholic church that was intent on instilling the fear of God. And I learned quickly, as you do as a child, you want to be accepted you want to survive, you want to be cared for. So I think I shared this with you before. I hated myself by kindergarten and I also knew not to talk about it. I remained living in a screensaver essentially 
without a word. There was one time in high school, toward the ends of high school, when I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I did, I did ask my mom to take me to the eye doctor. I, I just, I, I had to know. But until that time, you know, I had not mentioned a word about this to anyone. And so because of that, of course, you know, I, I got no help or assistance. You know, I, I just, I lived in fear. And what that looked like was when I turned uh, about 17 or 18, I started drinking alcoholically and drinking the way that I did dulled everything. And now I've been, I've been sober for almost 21 years, but that's the only help I could find for myself. You know, when I drank, everything dulled and it made me feel better. That's all I knew. There were five years there, and I know that sounds like a short amount of time, but I, I drank almost every day, you know, intentionally to a blackout because it, it felt like comfort to me. And I only stopped drinking. This, this is, it's no coincidence my last name is Dyer, but I, I was dying. I, I was... Mm. My, my roommate's father came to visit. He, he's a doctor. He took one look at me and called my parents. I was yellow. Uh, my liver was failing. I was uh, drinking and drugging every day from the moment I woke up to the moment I passed out. And to me, it felt like relief, but it was physically killing me. And so I did end up getting sober in early sobriety as well. I was just so burnt. I, at one point I couldn't even read. And I am, you know, I love reading, but I, I had just done so much damage with, you know, everything I'd consumed. I, I had to heal from that. But on, on the flip side, nearly immediately, and that again, like 21 years ago, I started meditating because that is a, a, a part of my recovery. And when I began meditating, that is, that kind of marks the opening, the reopening of everything. And at, you know, at that point, I think I was 22 and immediately mystical things began happening again. But this time, they weren't as scary. They were, uh, they were beautiful experiences, and they made me curious. And everything built from there. What a journey, Susan. What a journey. And I know too that you have had more than that. You 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 had a an eating disorder that required treatment as well, and um, and a and a relationship with a person who who didn't have your best interests at heart. And it, if I'm not mistaken, it all comes back to that, that lack of self-love and that, um, yes. yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about this kind of 
debilitating suffering that the people that we we might call our spiritual leaders, our thought leaders, people, you pointed this out to me, Mother Teresa, Eckhart Tolle, they both suffered uh, debilitating depression and, you know, and the story of the, the suffering of a person with abilities like yours, which I know that you you believe we all have, but for some reason they're manifested more in some people than others. But this is a story that is familiar to me, this intense suffering. In all of the conversations I've had over the years, it comes up and up and yes. up again and again. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the difficult time that people that we might call light workers have living embodied and, you know, what you feel might sure. be behind that. Well, you, you may have heard the term dark night of the soul. Have yes. you heard that term? Yes, yes. So it's so common, so common uh, for those of us on the spiritual path. And and again, I, I speak I speak only from experience and and, and this is merely opinion, but I deeply believe that so many of us endure, you know, however many dark nights and Lord knows I I have had too many to count. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, In my opinion, I, I, I believe it's almost like an insurance policy where people on the spiritual path wanted to ensure that they ended up, if they persevered through, which is not easy. Many of us don't make it. Many of us don't get sober. Many of us do give in to the will to kill ourselves in the darkest of depression. You know, many of us, you know, many of us don't make it. But the contrast that's in our lives that constitute these dark nights of the soul. I, I really believe it, it is for us, for our highest and best that we architected it before coming in, in the hopes that we would persevere through it. Because if and when we do, and each and every time I have through each and every one of my dark nights, I have been transformed. And in whatever way that looks like, more empathy, more wisdom, more compassion, more empowerment, if you persevere and you make it, you don't give up and you get through to the other side, you're bestowed these divine tools to better assist your fellows. What a powerful message. And as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about the kind of, you know, the tidal wave of depression, anxiety, suicide in people of all age groups that is so terribly a symptom of our Western society and it's, it's become so, so awfully common and I just wonder about the relationship between that and the, the love, the connection that we have with our spiritual side that we don't attend to. Well, the other thing I've noticed is 
like I said, you know, I've, I've worked with, with so many teachers in so many different disciplines, so many uh, different spiritual and metaphysical disciplines. And, and I have to say, this, this is, this is r real. I, I have never, I have never met a teacher who has not suffered. You know, it's, it's been 21 years and so many modalities, I've studied so many modalities and, and I have never met a teacher who has not suffered at death. And, and I just, I just, I, that cannot, I, well, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I believe everything is God or source, but it's almost like divine surgery. You know, it's, it's almost like a higher power shaping us in a way that if left to our own devices, we may not have the power to do ourselves because it would be too painful. The trials, they're, they're yes. an invitation to yes. awaken, they're I guess. A yeah. doorway. Yes, absolutely. I 100% I agree with you. Yes. Because we don't get it. We seem to not get it otherwise. Yeah. Well, it, we, we wouldn't reach for it necessarily. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, if I, I have to say, this has never been my experience, but I've known people who have had terrifically easy lives and have, have, have just naturally been well adjusted and never faced a trial and, you know, have just, I don't know what kind of person I would be if I grew up that way. You know, these these dark nights have made me the person I am today. And I don't know that I would have the same concerns or cares or priorities or convictions. I, in fact, I know I wouldn't. Mm. And that essential connection that you, you have yes. with the people that you are serving and working with and teaching, how would you be able to sort of tune into what Absolutely. they've gone through? That's and that's something that that you have shared with me in our correspondence as well, and the value of it. Yeah, yeah, that's what my higher self explained to me, and and I I found it so comforting because until that first channeling with my higher self, I had really committed all my inner resources to trying to forget and escape and forcibly ignore all the pain. And in that first channeling, when my higher self called me a, a human Rolodex, um, or, or I'm sorry, a Rolodex of human experience, she said, you are meant to hold that pain. And she showed me a, a vast mirror-like lake uh, that I was meant to hold that pain and mature so that it wasn't tormenting me all the time as it used to, but rather to be able to hold it peaceably. And then when serving another woman, she could share anything with me and I could reflect back to her, you know, not identical very similar. So you would feel that sense of identity and comfort mm. and alliance. 
Alliance, that's a beautiful word and that is a very beautiful image which I'm now holding in my mind. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So with these uh, difficult trials, with with all of the pain, Susan, in this lead up to your initial NDE in 2017, which you've shared with us, it was an incredibly rich time in terms of a surge in your psychic abilities. So I know that you experienced some some absolutely mind-blowing things actually and I was wondering if you could share them with us so and this all came at the same time as you your marriage was collapsing you were diagnosed with with Lyme disease and at the same time you're tell us tell us the things that you were experiencing well again our bodies are so innately wise and my life was careening towards another complete rock bottom and the heart wants to believe what it wants to believe and I was stifling my intuition but at night having you know waking up screaming in night terrors I mean I I did not want to believe my marriage you know my marriage to be honest it was never it was it was never love you know I walked the aisle knowing that my partner marginally liked me. But at the time, I thought I should be grateful anyone's willing to marry me at all. And so over 14 years, you know, the reality of that, trying to to forcibly ignore the reality of it, it it wrecked havoc on my psyche and my body. So my body was, was trying to tell me first, my body, you know, started going south. And when we actually met, I had a 10 month dark night of the soul. It was unwavering. And it was, it was one of several crises of faith I had because I prayed 24 seven. I prayed furiously just for a a mustard seed of relief. The way that my marriage dissolved and, and all of the information that came to light, it actually shattered. There's a, there's an energy point. Uh, Some call it the, the point of origin, but it's, it's connected to your heart chakra. It, you know, the trauma of the reality of my marriage, of what, what had been really going on and, and, and all of that, it actually shattered my point of origin and I couldn't function. I, I remember my best friend, you know, my, 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 my friends coming over grocery shopping for me, taking care of the kids for me. I remember at, w- at one point, you know, I couldn't eat and my best friend lifting the fork to my mouth for me. And I, I wanted to drink. I-, I had compulsions to drink. And there-, there were 10 months and nothing changed. The despair and the self-loathing and the want to die just wouldn't budge. And my anger 
with God was unbridled. And again, this is before my NDE. My conception of God is completely different. I see no separation anymore between myself and you or myself and God or you and God or you and whomever. I now consider all as one. But back then, during those 10 months right after the split, I felt rageful at God that I can't pray any harder. Why won't you grant me the slightest bit of relief? And then it went from zero to a hundred, like a flip of a coin. The relief that I had been seeking happened all at once, instantaneously, one night. And immediately following, and this is very common, this is a very common pattern, but immediately following dark nights of the soul, there's often what I call avalanches of deepening extrasensory experience or spiritual growth. And that's what happened to me. I was born clairvoyant. I assumed you couldn't get any more clairvoyant. But after that flip, after that relief and that release, my clairvoyance deepened tremendously. And the fear I felt as a child came flooding back to me because it felt so wildly out of control. I, I remember, and this was not unpleasant, but I remember laying in bed one night and just gazing at the bathroom door through my arm. And, and that, that wasn't upsetting, but I, you know, I just, I remember thinking I had no idea that my clairvoyance could, could deepen in any way. And it came with, with all that fear because so much of, uh, there was so much energy in my home and it was all uncontrolled because at that point I had not sought a teacher for my extrasensory abilities yet. I, I remember, for example, 14 years of, of being with this, this partner and, and I've, you know, we are good friends today. And I, I spent four years, you know, with my greatest intention to be forgiveness, which, which I'm, I'm so pleased to say, you know, came to pass, but I remember that seeing a conglomeration of energy or a, a, a thought form or a, an energy mass that symbolized or represented or was the was the amassed energy of all the negativity of our marriage and it it, it looked just as scary as you would think it would and it it never moved it stayed in one corner of my living room, but it was always there. 
and I never knew if it was going to move. I, and I was a single mom. I was afraid of the dark. And I had this hulking beast in the corner of, of my, of, of, I'm sorry, my dining room. And there was a period of several months where if you had driven by my townhouse, you would have thought, what's going on in there? Because at night I would go down to the basement and there, there'd be ne never, there'd never be a reason for me to go to the basement in the middle of the night, but I would turn on every single light in every single room, including my bedroom. And that's how I would sleep for months on end because I was so terrified. I remember another experience, and again, I know today it's because of the sheer amount of energy that had been opened in that physical proximity, but I was in the kitchen one day and, and the kids weren't there, thankfully, um, but I heard what sounded like a peal of lightning in my home. It was that loud and it sounded that identical. And I just froze. I just thought, I just thought, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because whatever, whatever it was happened on the second floor. And I was on the main floor. And I remember just being at the kitchen table being like, you have to go upstairs. You're the only one who can. No one else will do this for you. There's no one else here. You have to go upstairs. And as I, as I started walking up the stairs, I actually heard the sound of rushing water. And I was like, what is going on? And I, I entered the bathroom and, you know, it was a, an absolutely modern, normal porcelain toilet. And it looked like it had been sliced precisely in half by a laser and it just laid there like a split open banana and and the water from the tank was just gushing just just gushing out and i i just at the time i didn't understand why that had happened and i went to worst case scenario being so afraid i was like is this happening to me is 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 this the creature in the corner downstairs like what what is, i felt like i was going insane and there there was another night i remember when i walked in on my son to, like he was asleep to kiss him good night this is only hap happened i think this maybe this may be the only time this has ever happened but i walked in and he was asleep with his head uh, on the lap of what looked to be an African man dressed in a loincloth. And this uh, spirit w was, was as opaque and colored as a, a true human being. I, I, and I've seen many uh, many spirits, you know, I've seen many different races of spirits, you know, humanoid and, and not humanoid, but I, I have never seen 
what looks to be a tangible human being. And I walked in, I saw him, his head turned, he met my eyes and he didn't smile. I felt very ashamed of this for the longest time, but that made me so afraid. I ran out of the room and, and slammed the door shut. And then the second I got out in the hallway, I thought, what are you doing? You need to go back in there for your son. Like I, it was, it was a moment of, of real shame because my fear just took over. It was so great. I just, the shock was so great because I, I really can't express this enough that it just simply looked like there was a man sitting cross-legged legged on my son's bed and and to to meet his eyes without a smile i i just i i really at that point felt like i was losing my mind i did make myself immediately go back in and his guide was not there it, it was it was those kinds of things that happened that brought back that primal level fear that I used to experience as a child. That's an unfathomable experience. I've heard many ghost stories and experiences of seeing apparitions. I've never heard a story like that. One of the most amazing things about it is that your son was sleeping peacefully. So this yep. this was a, a person that meant no harm, a spirit person that meant no harm. But what an astounding, frightening thing for you to see because, as you say, it was, for all intents and purposes, a human being sitting there. Yes, and, and I, I think the fact that that as as his mother, to not have elicited a smile, it mm. really confused me. I, mm. I didn't know what to make of it, you know, because if, if he had smiled graciously and easily, I, I still would have been in such shock and slammed the door shut. But I think it would have been a milder experience. I, I was so confused by it, you know, and and again, being being untrained by teachers, you know, who are masters of extrasensory, I didn't have the tools to understand all, all that I do today and can today. So it, I felt like I was a kid again, you know, living in this world where I just understood nothing and had no ability to understand anything. And what do you make now of the fact that he wasn't smiling? Absolutely nothing. He's one of my son's absolute longest time guides, and that is simply his nature. It's not somber, but his nature is is stoic and regal, and that's just who he is. I understand. But yeah, yeah. At the time, I just I felt as I did when I was young. I felt like I was going crazy again. And I remember you told me too about the um the toilet that your your plumber said in all of his years. Yeah. What was it that he said? <laughs> uh, he he had been a plumber for more than 40 years. And he said he had never seen anything like it. He had, he had nothing to say to me. He had no ideas. He <laughs> couldn't even make a guess Poor guy. at how that was <laughs> even possible. And I was like, welcome to my life. Yes. And okay. the other thing that strikes me about that is, well, 
from the get-go, talking to you today, Susan, there's this real sense that the veil is non-existent for you, you know. But in this particular moment, in this within this dark night and this surge, the avalanche of your um, abilities, there is this sense that if there was anything that stood between you and and the spirit world, it was gone. It was you were broken open. You were completely open. Yes. That divide is gone. So yes. so it's interesting that the toilet was split in half and open yeah, and lying it, there, flayed open like a banana, like you said. <laughs> it's so crazy. I I do I, I I can laugh, but I do feel like the absurdities just go on and on, you know. Sometimes to be very honest, sometimes I'll still say like, can I, can I just, can we do, can we pause? Can we just have a, a moment? Like, <laughs> can we just have a, ch- a chapter here of, of neutrality? Sometimes it, 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 it still can feel, it, it can still feel like too much, but I, I'm very sure-footed. I'm, I'm no longer afraid. I initiated myself through meditation in the dark, I initiated myself into the dark and I'm no longer afraid. And that, that was an entire, you know, uh, several week long trial that, that ended in a very intense experience, but I'm so grateful for it because after my near death experience, you know, one of the, the lesser one of the, I say lesser, it's it's so important. But one of the lesser convictions that I picked up was, you know, a knowing that fear is not real, that it's a man-made, manufactured um, existence, if you will. And and so to to be afraid of the dark still as an adult after the after the NDE felt so incongruent to my beliefs uh so that was specifically something i i i sought to address and i did address and i'm I'm very grateful i did susan it's been so fascinating speaking to you today having these insights into into not only your near-death experience the key experience that you shared with us at the beginning but also the background and all of the struggles and the spiritual richness of the period that followed the dark night of the soul that that preceded the NDE itself. There's so much still to talk about. I know that life changed dramatically for you after the NDE. In part two, I want to come back and talk about your physical healing, the big steps that you took in 2018 to uh, live true to that promise that you made to God to, to live transparently and everything that went on to happen. And then, of course, in 2019, your health declined again, leading to yeah. another NDE. So we've got so much more to talk about. Thank you so much, Susan, for being with us today. I'm going to come back and record part two next week, if that suits you. Yes, I can't <laughs> wait. And we could talk forever. I do know that. <laughs> we so could. Thank you so much for being on Spirit Sisters, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.